Good morning, Northbridge. The Lord be with you. My name is Phil Goodwin. I'm a small group and family ministry leader here at Northbridge. Pastor Ray is preaching in Grove City, Pennsylvania this morning. And I'm blessed to be continuing our sermon series in Philippians, a sermon series taught by Northbridge men. So while you turn your Bibles to the end of verse 18 in Philippians chapter 1, I have a question for you. Have you found yourself in difficult circumstances? Maybe circumstances that have led to suffering. This could be in the form of damaged or broken relationships. Maybe you're struggling with financial difficulties. Or maybe you have health problems. So what should we do when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances? What should we ask others to do for us? I think Paul, through his letter to the church at Philippi, gives us the answer for Christ followers. While it is a letter written to those people at that time in response to their concerns, it also has encouragement for us today, church. Hopefully many of you are hearing me say those words and thinking traveling instructions. It's one of those uh, dig and discover principles that we're teaching in small groups. So what are traveling instructions? It's the idea that God's word cannot be directly applied to us. It was written to specific people at a specific time. But there is an intended response to God's word that carries through even today. So let's take a look at the context and see what applies to us. So hopefully many of you uh, have been following along in this series and have already heard Nick and Cody's um, sermons. Right? Cody already gave us great context a few weeks ago, and I won't go into those details. But if you missed their, their sermons, I, I urge you to go back and listen to them. The context you should know this morning is that Paul is imprisoned by the Roman government. And he's writing to the church at Philippi, a church that he helped plant, and we see that in Acts chapter 16. The Philippian church is concerned for Paul's well-being and his life. But the church at Philippi is also itself facing adversity. With that in mind, let's read Philippians starting at the end of verse 18, going through verse 30. I want you to pay attention to Paul's words, the choices he's presented with. What he says will deliver him from his circumstances and the encouragement he gives to the Philippians in their circumstances. So please, if you'd stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So earlier when I asked, what should we do when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances? Maybe it's better that we first ask ourselves, what do I want? The initial answer is probably obvious, right? You want your difficult circumstances to change or just to end. But look and see what question Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is encouraging us to ask. I believe he's encouraging us to ask, how can I best honor Christ? And let's face it, that's the sort of question we should remember every time we ask ourselves a question. And that leads me to the three points of this morning's message. The first one is that suffering is part of the Christian life. Second one is we should choose to courageously serve. And then third, the gospel progresses despite our circumstances. So suffering is part of the Christian life. We should choose to courageously serve. And the gospel progresses despite our circumstances. While suffering is part of the Christian life, suffering wasn't part of God's original design for man. Yet I think it is fundamentally human to have an aversion to suffering. It makes sense, right? Who wants to suffer? I don't see any hands. Which is why every worldview tries to explain suffering. But as Christians, we can look to God's word to give us answers for the questions most of us ask about suffering. Why is there suffering? What should we do in the midst of suffering? And will suffering ever end? Sometimes our suffering is a direct result of our own actions. What better example than in Genesis 3 with original sin? The fall, which began human suffering. Turn with me to Genesis 3, verse 16. Way back at the beginning of your Bible. 
If you're not careful, you might go to the table of contents. Here we see God speaking to Adam and Eve, starting in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but, you, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The first humans sought their own will, and suffering came into the world. Still other times, our suffering is just part of living in the sinful and fallen world, not some punishment. We see an example of this in John 9, when the disciples asked, what sin caused the man to be born blind? Starting in verse, nine, or verse 1 of John 9, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And before his arrest, we even see Jesus, who was sinless but man, pray in Luke chapter 22, Verse 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So that cup, that cup that Jesus asks God the Father to remove from him, it's the cup full of God's wrath that will lead to Christ, fully man and fully God, suffering on the cross when he is crucified. I think that's a suffering that you and I can't even imagine. And he didn't just suffer the cross. Think of all the suffering from his arrest up until the cross. Our small groups just studied this in Mark 15. Jesus didn't want to suffer, but he did desire to obey and bring glory to God as fulfillment of God's messianic covenant. So he obediently suffered as it was God's will. It wasn't his actions leading him to suffer. It was ours, our sins. Sins from past, present, and future. The sins of the world poured out on him. He suffered for us. The important point of Jesus' prayer is his emphasizing in God's will be done. That's our example of what to do in the midst of suffering. That's where we see Paul placing his emphasis to. Paul says his goal is that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
He says this in verse 20. Paul knows God is sovereign and his salvation is assured. But here is where we see Paul struggle with his circumstances, just like we struggle with ours. Should he choose to live and continue in these circumstances? Or shall he choose death? So he has this debate over choosing between the two. I think uh, in a modern euphemism we would say he has a bit of a coin toss. He's debating this, right? That either... Either result is a good outcome. In his death, Paul will be removed from his suffering and his circumstances and reunited with Christ. While choosing to suffer and serve, that's also godly. Paul describes it as a fruitful labor, knowing Christ awaits him in the end either way. But in verse 23, he says the better choice the far better choice for him is to die and be reunited with Christ. But is that what he chooses? What's best for him? Is that what he thinks God's will is for him to die? Is this a letter to the Philippians where Paul says, Dear Philippians, thank you for your prayers. Yes, I'm suffering here in prison, but it will soon be at an end. I'll be dead and reunited with Christ. Good luck with your problems. Does he take the easy way? Some might say the the selfish way. No, instead, what, what does Paul say he will do? What is it that he needs courage to do? He chooses to remain despite the circumstances he finds himself in. Because it's far better for the Philippians. Better for progression of the gospel. And how he can best honor Christ. He chooses the selfless way. Paul chooses to serve the church knowing that suffering is temporary. And I think Paul might be an expert in suffering. Just remember, this isn't the first time he's found himself in suffering circumstances. Nor will it be the last. Throughout his ministry, he was imprisoned multiple times. And at this point, he's already been stoned nearly to death. For us, choosing to endure suffering may be a different pace of living. Suffering and adversity might look like choosing between a good thing in the world, in our culture, and a better thing, a Christ-honoring thing or pattern to serve one another in the body of Christ as the church. But like Paul, we should choose to courageously serve Just as Christ was Paul's example, Paul wishes to be an example for the Philippians and urges them to also be an example. At the end of Paul's example, what does he say the church should do? 
It's at the end of verse 29 and 30. It says the church should also suffer for Christ's sake, engaging in the same conflict that they saw Paul had and now hear that Paul still has. It takes courage to see suffering as part of following Christ. Suffering is usually painful, and it's usually painful either physically or mentally. Confrontation and adversity is painful, but often necessary. It's why Paul speaks of himself having full courage in verse 20. And he urges the Philippians in verse 28 to not be frightened in anything. We could be fearful of many things, but what does Paul say in verse 28? That the church's lack of fear is what? A clear sign to the opponents of their destruction and the church's salvation. And we all struggle with what Paul calls there the, the same conflict. Do we choose suffering and serve the church to serve one another? To best honor Christ? Is our manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ? We see this kind of courage throughout the Bible. Readiness to endure pain and stand firm in the assurance that God a covenant-keeping God that we can trust him. Most of us know these Old Testament examples. David, when asking to face Goliath in battle. Everyone knows this, this story, right? David was just a shepherd, and Goliath, his opponent, was a Philistine warrior. This opponent, I think we would say, is a true enemy. Later we see David suffering by Saul. David had served Saul loyally. Now Saul wanted him dead. Saul was his opponent, but was also his king and the father of his best friend. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace? Who was their opponent? How about the state? A government that forced them to choose between worshiping an idol or death for standing firm in obedience and honoring God? Were these men concerned with their suffering? Or were they concerned with glorifying God? They faced death and trusted God's will would be done in God's time, and it was. It isn't easy for us to see, or it's too easy for us to see opponents like Goliath, clear enemies who want nothing but our destruction. But how about another example? How about Joseph? How much suffering did he have in his life? As a boy, he was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He was also imprisoned. 
But at the end, in Genesis 50, what does he say to his brothers? In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph had different opponents in his life. First his family, then what we might safely call his employer. But the gospel progressed. And the gospel progresses despite our circumstances. Joseph was sold into slavery. He suffered troubles in Egypt and eventually rose to leadership there. That gave his people, God's people, a refuge from their circumstances in drought and famine. His suffering saved them from suffering, and God's covenant to Abraham progressed. While Joseph suffered, others were blessed. So now here in his letter to the Philippians, Paul sits imprisoned by Rome. He's facing the possibility of death, and yet the gospel progresses. Paul makes it clear in verse 27 that he expects the church at Philippi to let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether he's present with them or not. What's important is that the gospel will progress, not where Paul is located. The gospel, the good news, the kingly proclamation of Jesus, the servant king, suffering for our sake, he was the perfect sacrifice and our salvation, saving us from eternal suffering. In Northridge, this letter was not just an encouragement to the church at Philippi. It's an encouragement to us today. So how can we apply this? In times when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances and suffering, when we choose to participate and serve through adversity and suffering, what should we ask others to do for us and what should we do? So earlier... What was Jesus doing in the garden before his arrest? He's praying. And what does Paul say in verse 19 at the beginning of this passage? We'll deliver him from his circumstances. He says the prayers of the Philippians, the prayers of the church, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's clear it's clear that prayer is powerful and necessary. And how should we pray? Remember what Jesus prayed, God's will, not ours. Be assured that you have the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, as Christ followers, we should know the answers to the three questions I asked earlier about suffering. Why is there suffering? We see in Genesis 3, right? Man following his own will in disobedience to God. 
sin. So what should we do in the midst of suffering? I say we should pray for God's will to be done and then courageously serve. I challenge you to talk about what that looks like, courageously serving in your households or small groups this week. And the final question, will suffering ever end? And I think we can proclaim yes. Thanks to the work of Christ and his perfect sacrifice on the cross, suffering will end. It is because of this that we can serve through suffering with joy. Northbridge, will you joyfully serve Christ despite your circumstances? I say, let us heed Paul's words to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I'm thankful for the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of my Christian brothers and sisters, partners in ministry. Will you pray for yourself, for your leaders, and your church? in such circumstances, to be courageous. For those of you who have yet to accept Christ as Savior, I pray you will see Christ's perfect life and the penalty he suffered for us, for you, on the cross, and that you will believe. I pray that we all have faith like Paul, fearless and serving Christ's church joyfully, with courage despite our circumstances, even through suffering. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up your name and character and adoration, for you are sovereign. You are covenant-keeping. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We confess that we see our circumstances and suffering and seek to be removed from them rather than standing firm in your promises, ready for suffering and serving with courage. Thank you for the examples in your Holy Scripture. It is sufficient. I am thankful for the work of your Holy Spirit at work in this church, and through difficult circumstances, knowing that the gospel will continue to progress through imperfect people. I lift up prayers of supplication to unite your church, that we might stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That we would not fear our opponents, and it would be a sign of our salvation. I also pray that our opponents will believe, repent, and avoid their destruction. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.